uh, the story that we believe starts with God coming down, so to speak, and created everything. He made it good, right, and beautiful. The flowers, the plants, the animals, your favorite animal inserted here, God created it in such a way that it was all meant to flourish. He set up the patterns and the systems of the world so that everything could flourish. And then he put image bearers in the middle of the garden, Adam and Eve, and gave them the job to cultivate all the hidden potentials of his creation. They enjoyed a perfect relationship with each other, with him, with creation, and even with themselves. And this world looks nothing like the one that we see now. What happened? Genesis 3 through 11 tells the story of human beings deciding to rebel against God's reign. They felt like he was too restrictive. And so when he had given them the command to eat from any tree of the garden, except for the one that would show whether or not they trusted him, they chose to take for themselves the fruit and eat of that as they believed the lie of the enemy. And so creation fell under a curse. Death came in. Poison was released in one way to look at it, where everything was affected. All humans were implicated by the decision of our first parents. But God didn't leave them without hope. Uh, act two of the story is a rebellion. Act three is a promise. God promises that one day death would be put to death. Yes, the world was decidedly different now. Yes, there would be pain and longing and agony. Disease, death, isolation, and oppression were all released into creation. But God said it wouldn't always be that way. And in fact, he made a promise to a man named Abram in Genesis 12, and that unfolds all the way through Malachi 4, showing how God would keep his promise to his world that he would make things right. From Abram came a great nation, and that was the promise that God had made, that the, the number of descendants of Abram would be as many as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. But as they grew in number, the followers that came after Abraham did not go towards liberation, but oppression. In fact, they were, they were enslaved by Egypt, the most oppressive nation at the time. And they were coerced to create consumer products for the nation of Egypt. And for 400 years, God's people cried out and said, God, would you rescue us? God, would you rescue us? God, would you bring justice? And finally, in Exodus, we get the story that God hears the cry of his people and he sets them free. And the whole rest of your Old Testament, from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob to Elisha to David to Ezra to Rahab to Rebekah to Rachel, all of those stories are set on the backdrop of whether or not God would keep his promise. And as God worked with his creation, he worked with humans in the nation of Israel. He gave them a way to live where they could love God, love their neighbor, and enjoy him even in a broken creation. But that sin problem, that poison, corrupted even them. And instead of crying out for the oppressed, they began to do injustice themselves. They were consumed with lust and gave over to their desires. They stopped being generous and started giving to their own pockets instead of giving to God. They forgot about the stranger and the foreigner and wanted to elevate themselves. And so God sent his nation Israel into exile. And for 400 more years, he was silent. But then act four of the story of redemption. God surprises absolutely everyone and sends his son through a teenage unwed mom in a backwoods town called Nazareth. And the royal announcement that God's son was coming to earth was made to shepherds, not a reigning sovereign. And Jesus grew up in relative obscurity. 
But then he stepped on the scene and in no uncertain terms announced good news. God's kingdom was finally here. He was the one sent to make things right. He could forgive sins and heal what was broken, both in humans but also in creation. And he announced what his kingdom looked like. Oh, I'm gonna get excited about this. He announced what his kingdom looked like, that it wasn't one reigned and ruled by oppressive power, but by mercy and justice that the way to elevate yourself in God's kingdom was not to subjugate others, but actually to serve them. And the religious people were confused and those in power were frightened. But those at the fringes who knew they were too messed up, that had no hope, believed. And gathering around Jesus was an economically, racially, diverse community of people who had one thing in common. They were desperate for God and they believed that Jesus was the Messiah, the true King. And so the religious and Rome came together to have Jesus murdered. And one day on a hill called Golgotha, Jesus was nailed to a cross. His body absorbing the wrath of the Father, not just for sin that he has done because he hadn't done any, but for the sin of the world that he took on himself the effects of the Father's wrath for all that had gone wrong in creation. And he died. They pulled his body off of the cross. They put it in a tomb under the seal of the Caesar. And I can't believe what was probably going through people's mind. <laughs> Maybe this wasn't worth it. Uh, maybe they just misplaced their trust. Maybe the way to actually see true and lasting change was a sword, not a servant's towel. Where had they gone wrong? They had pushed the weight of their life into believing that Jesus was someone, but now he was dead. But even as his body lay in the tomb, God was still acting. And three days later on Easter morning, Jesus resurrects. And so this had never happened before. And so something brand new happened in creation that shapes the way that we look at the rest of history. That God will make all things new just like he did in Jesus. He ripped that from the future, brought it into now. And Jesus said, a good news, new creations here. And he described for his followers what life in the kingdom looked like. And they said, yes, finally, are you setting it up now? And Jesus said, actually, there's another act in the story. Act five in the story is the church. Jesus' followers filled with his spirit and sent out in the world to announce and embody the good news of the kingdom. Uh, these weren't just theology majors or pastors, but everyday people who were filled with the good spirit of God and sent to announce the good news of God wherever they went. And so they kept their citizenship in their own cities, but served a different king. God's people lived as a family of sent servants who lived by the power of the spirit and lived by a code of justice, compassion, of mercy and forgiveness, of truth and hope and faith even as the world around them lived by a different ethic. A God's people were called to be a contrast community, faithful witnesses that the gospel events had taken place. And so sometimes better than others, the church goes forward living out this new identity, 
not marked by just following their own desires of what they love and what they want, not having to hide because of sadness or even hide because of sin in their life, but they're able to come into the light and enjoy God's presence, loving those that were like them and those that were very different. This is a different kind of community sent out to live in a world that still believed a different story. And anyone, anyone who turned to Jesus could be a part of this new family. And as they announced that that news spread until the day that we find ourselves right now, 2020, that news continues to spread. This is the story we find ourselves in. This is the part of the story that we get to steward right now that God has not yet returned, right? Jesus has not yet returned. He still sent us out, but how will we steward our moment in his creation? How will we steward our moment in his creation? There's a lot that could be said here, but this isn't the end of the story either, and I wanna keep going so we have time to pray. The story doesn't end when humans finally get it together. It doesn't end when they stop fighting and all become friends. It ends when Jesus finally returns to make everything right. It returns when he returns and reconciles all things in himself. And everyone who has given their allegiance to King Jesus enjoys a restored creation with no more sickness, no more sadness, no more disease, no more death, no more oppression, no more injustice, no more abuse, no more tears. Only a good king with a good reign on a renewed creation. Revelation tells the story of this, of this new heavens and a new earth. And when creation is finally and fully made right, human beings are finally able to live as full beings as they were always intended. And all those that reject God, those that say, I don't need you, I can do it my own way, much like Adam and Eve did at the beginning of the story, spend eternity separated from God. But those who bow their knee to him get to enjoy his presence forever. And right now, our actions are meant to point forward to that day in part when all will be made new. They point back that we have a king who lived and died and rose again. A God who is for the marginalized. A God who is for the poor. And if we're poor, we have a place in his kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because that's the stuff that God's kingdom is made up of. So what do we do with it? How do we faithfully take up our role in God's story? And that's the question that we spend our lives answering.